If you would, grab your Bible and open it up to Proverbs, and we'll read chapter 5 together. It's Proverbs chapter 5. My son, be attentive to wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow her path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, and her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O oh sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take the fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter, utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should you scatter the springs abroad, streams of water in the street, let them be for you, for yourself alone, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated and always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for the lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. Please be seated. For the past two months, we of a church have made a concerted effort to go outside of these doors into the city and invite people to church, invite them to VBS. Many through this have heard the gospel. We had 23 children come to VBS where them and their parents got to hear the gospel. And as we continue through Proverbs, I'm reminded of a game. If you went and sat back and watched Mike and Brooke teach their missions class, they played a game, I believe, on the last night. Each child would state a truth that they had learned during the week, and they'd attempt to throw a ball into a basket. And it was fun watching them do that, because if they missed, they'd have to state that truth again and throw the ball into the basket. And they'd miss, and they'd try it again. It's a perfect picture of what we should be doing as we make disciples and as we seek to have discipleship. I hope no one's tired of hearing what Proverbs has to say because every week it sounds like it says the same thing, and it does. It says, seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Avoid folly. In chapter 1, we saw Solomon speak to his son and say, to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. He goes on to say, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. 
Still in chapter 1, wisdom cries aloud in the street, and she raises her voice in the markets. Chapter 2, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you will call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We went on to chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching. Do not, but let your heart keep my commandments. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Chapter 4. Hear, O sons, a father's instructions, and be attentive that you may gain insight. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. So for 10 weeks, we've gone and heard the same message over and over again. It's wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Again, this is what discipleship should look like for us. And this is what we've seen Solomon doing with his son over every single page of Proverbs. Solomon teaches his son. He pleads with him. He repeats it over and over and over again through the course of his son's life. You and I still need this repetition. Each and every one of us should be seeking not only to disciple others, but to be discipled in this way to where we hear the same message over and over and over again. So if you've been bored with Proverbs so far, I'm sorry. It's probably going to be boring today too because we have this renewed plea once again. So starting in verse 1 of our text, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion, discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she goes, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. So we see this renewed plea, listen to wisdom, incline your ear to understanding, use discretion, let your lips guard knowledge. While the bulk of today's text is about sexual immorality, the lesson is the same that he's been teaching his son all along. Seek wisdom and avoid folly. The folly in this lesson is sexual immorality. The roles played by the forbidden woman, we see that her words are inviting, they're warm, they're sweet, but they quickly turn bitter. And we know this about sexual immorality. It starts with the sweetest of lies. It promises things like comfort and happiness. It'll tell you exactly what you want to hear, but these lies lead to death and anguish. Solomon and David both experienced this and paid the price for their failures. We know the stories. David took a woman that's not his wife, and that led to deceit and murder and the death of his child. Solomon took over 700 wives, 300 concubines, and many of them were from nations that God had strictly forbidden him. He allowed his wives to cause him to seek after foreign gods, and through Solomon's action, the nation of Israel would be split and taken away from his children. We saw that momentary pleasure led to a lifetime of consequences that went beyond just these two men's lives. So Solomon's advice to his son is hold on to wisdom, recognize folly where it happens. If we go on in verse 7 of our text, we we come to the question, what do, we, what do we do with sexual immorality? 
when we're confronted by the lies, when we're confronted by the folly. So read with me in verse 7. And now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take the fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan, when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers, or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Solomon doesn't tell his son to go confront sexual immorality. He doesn't tell him to fight it. He doesn't tell him to try and defeat it, to, to defeat it. He encourages his son to run from it, to keep far away from it. Don't even go near it. This is the same advice he gives his son in the previous chapter, in, in Proverbs chapter 4. It says, do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Run from it. Hide from it. Never confront it. The lies that sexual immorality tell us appear harmless from the outside. But it will not be until we're in the throes of that sin that we know the trouble that awaits. So Solomon begins to list the trouble here. Your honor will be given to others. Your strength will go to strangers. Your labors to the house of foreigners. Your sins become public. These things that are listed here, if we go back to Proverbs chapter 3, are the things that wisdom is supposed to give us. In, in Proverbs chapter 3, it says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and in all paths are peace. She is a tree of life for those who lay hold to her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. So we see that wisdom brings honor, riches, life, and peace. But sexual immorality takes those things away. The New Testament talks about what we should do with sexual immorality, and it's the same advice. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church at Corinth that says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it's written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with them. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. 
Or do you not know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So Paul's advice is the same. Flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So how do we flee from sexual immorality? If we keep reading in verse 15 of our text, Solomon says, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for, your, not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should, we be, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Thankfully, the answer to sexual immorality is not become me monks. It's not to be celibate. Solomon says quite the opposite here. He urges his son to partake in physical intimacy, to enjoy it, to delight in it, to be intoxicated with it, but to do so in the only way that it's designed to be enjoyed, and that's within the bonds of a biblical marriage. Solomon uses the poetic imagery of flowing waters to describe this intimacy. Drink from your own cistern, from your own well. Treasure it, protect it. Don't let those waters get scattered in the street. Jealously guard them as your own and delight in your spouse. Sexual intimacy is a marvelous gift from God. It's very clear that it was meant for more than just procreation. It was meant to be a pleasure shared between one man and one woman within the lifelong bond of marriage. There's an entire book of the Bible in the Song of Solomon that explicitly promotes and celebrates the acts of sexual intimacy in marriage. And this intimacy should be protected at all times. We should take the approach that, that Solomon takes in Song of Solomon, saying, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. The difference between sexual purity and sexual immorality is a very simple line. Any sexual thoughts or acts that are outside the confines of marriage are immoral. Any that are within the confines of marriage are pure. If you're not married, these things aren't meant for you. Each one of us should flee from sexual immorality. And it doesn't matter if we're single, if we're children, if we're married. We should flee from it when we see it. Because wisdom says that God's provided every good gift for us. We should grab these gifts, we should hold them, we should treasure them, and we should protect them. Because folly seeks to take these gifts away. Solomon ends the lesson with his son with a reminder. In verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for the lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. It's Matthew chapter 5, and we'll read in verse 27.
You have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with, intent, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. Jesus teaches the standard. It's a standard that we're to hold ourselves to when it comes to sexual purity. Even a look at someone that's not our spouse, that has lustful intent, and we're guilty of adultery. It's taken so serious that Jesus' advice is, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And this is why Solomon pleads with his son over and over and over again. Hold on to wisdom. Recognize folly and run from it. Stay as far away from, from folly as possible. Now, there's a valuable lesson here. If you're here and you're a parent, someone is going to teach your children about sexual immorality or sexual morality. Whether it be on TV, on the internet, at their schools, someone is going to teach our children about sex. Either we as parents are going to do it or the world is going to do it. I don't know how you were raised, but my parents didn't talk about sex. Uh, beyond the don't be stupid, don't do it. We can't take that route with our children. They are going to learn it somewhere else. We need to decide if our children are going to learn it from the world or from us. Solomon's warned his son so many times through the first five chapters of, Pro of Proverbs. Avoid folly. Stay on the path of wisdom. Folly's words are sweet and inviting. They're politically correct. The world will call it wisdom. The world's going to tell our children that the primary goal of life is to find pleasure. The world will say that love is just a feeling. Marriage is about self and pleasure. It's about finding happiness. But we see marriages dissolve every single day because they don't find the happiness that they were looking for. The world teaches our children that sexual purity and virginity are a disease that needs to be get rid gotten rid of as soon as possible. That sex is just an object to be acquired rather than a bond between a man and a woman. Sex is just a primal urge that must be met. And you don't have to go far to look at this message. You can turn on the TV, just about any channel nowadays, and see entertainment that glorifies adultery and sex. We can look at any magazine and see that our young women are being told that they need to be some idealized weight, that they need to be sexually attractive, that that's how they can find their worth in life. Pornography has become a normalized thing in this society. Made $97 billion last year, the porn industry. And we have people that spend endless amounts of money in it 
while untold numbers of children are being sexually trafficked and abused. We change the definition of words. You want to be a girl, you can be a girl. You want to be a guy, you can be a guy. You don't want to be either one of those, fine. Marriage is no longer meant to be between one man and one woman. It can be any combination you can dream up. We've made marriages into something temporary and disposable, nothing more than a short legal contract that can be broken. This is what folly does. This is why Solomon's warning his son over and over again, because she lies. She takes the truth, she twists it, she corrupts it, and gets the world to call it wisdom. But wisdom says that marriage serves a greater purpose than just happiness or sex. Parents, we have to be willing to talk to our young men and women about the truth. The truth is that our value and our self-worth are not found in how we look. It's not found in the stuff we have. It's not found in physical intimacy. We're God's creation, formed before the foundation of the world. We are created in the image of a holy God. The world teaches us that the world teaches our children that value is found in how we look, how we feel, how you can make others feel, but our children deserve the truth, and it's our job to prepare them to go out into that world that is going to tell them nonstop these lies. It's our job to continue to point them to Christ. For those here that are married, we need to treasure the gifts that God has given us. There's love, companionship, bonding, intimacy, and so much more that's given to us in marriage. And it's not something that just man decided to do one day. We can go all the way back to the creation story in Genesis 2 that we read earlier. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heaven, and to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was no, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. There's no room for what the world says about marriage in that. We have a picture of one man, one woman, a lifetime commitment. Paul writes in his letter to the church at Ephesus that this gift is a mystery until we put Christ in the picture. In Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, he writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. 
Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's no explanation of being happy in that. Now, happiness should be a gift that comes from a healthy marriage that's centered on God, but it is not the goal. A sexual relationship with your wife is something that should come out of a healthy marriage. It is not the goal. Wisdom says that we need to treasure this, this gift of marriage. Enjoy the gifts that it gives. Guard and protect the gift that's been given to you because it's, it's a picture that's so much more than husband and wife. It's a picture of Christ and the church. If you're here today and you're single, you may have the hardest lesson of all in this. You see, you hear these great gifts that are given in marriage. You hear instructions for married couples to delight in each other, to revel in the physical intimacy of marriage. The world will go and tell you, you don't have to be married. Just go, just go find pleasure where it can be found and go have as much of it as possible. But those are lies. Wisdom calls you to a different standard, one of purity of mind and body. So Solomon's lesson is for all of us. Parents, you better teach your children or else someone else will. Spouses, hold on to what you have. Protect it. If you're single, this isn't for you right now. We need, to re, we need to be reminded over and over and over again that we need to seek wisdom. We need to recognize folly. We need to run from it, hide from it, avoid it at all cost. Because wisdom comes with all the good gifts that God promises. But folly seeks to take those away. So I would urge you as we continue to look through the book of Proverbs, see this picture of a father discipling his son. If you don't have someone like that discipling you in your life, find it. If you're not doing it with someone else, do it. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, your word says that every good thing, every good gift comes from you. We thank you for your word that we can so easily open it up, read it, meditate on it. We thank you for the gifts that you give us, Lord, for the gift of marriage. 
Lord, help us to strengthen our own marriages. Help us to image Christ in the church in everything that we do. Lord, I pray especially for our children right now that every day go out and hear the lies that the world has to tell. I just pray for each and every one of them that you would call them to salvation, that you would give them the truth, give them the tools that they need to go into this world and to be a shining light. Lord, help us to seek wisdom in everything that we do. Help us cling to those good things, those good gifts that you give us. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.